Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Nineveh believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of God. Well, Father, we thank you again as we have heard, as we have seen, you are a God who's at work. And Lord, you are a God that, was not only, that is not only at work here in Hong Kong, but you are also a God that was at work in Nineveh. You are a God who is filled with mercy, scandalous mercy at times. Mercy given to people who we, who the people of, of Jonah's time felt didn't deserve it. But God, you show it again and again that you are a merciful God. You are a loving God. You are a God who is sovereign over the nations. And that city of Nineveh, it, it belonged to you. Much in the same way that this city belongs to you. Lord, we've had a hard week. But it didn't catch you by surprise. You are the God of the city as we've already prayed and as we've already sung. And God, we cry out again. For your hand to be over the city. Your hand to be on the college campuses here. Even now, over at Papali U. Father, please, please. We just pray for peace. We pray that God cooler heads would, would emerge. And we ask God for your hand to be with us as well as your people. We don't know what this week holds. But we know that, God, you are still on the throne. We know that, God, you have called for us to cast all our anxieties upon you because you care. Lord, you're the one that said you would keep in perfect peace him whose mind is, sta is stayed because trust in you. And, Lord, we do. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. For as the mountains surround, the, surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds those whom he loves both now and forevermore. God is your shepherd. As your shepherd of this precious flock, I ask God for your hand of protection. And I pray that God, in the midst of this time, 
you will reveal to us what it is that you're doing and how it is that, God, we can join you in what it is you're doing. Would you bless this word now as, as it goes out? God, speak to our hearts as only you can. And I pray that, God, as we hear your voice, we will respond in obedience to whatever it is that you call. God, I thank you that you're a God of hope, that you are a God who relents, and that you're a God who draws us into what it is that you're already doing. Speak now in this time, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, kids are known for doing things that, uh, I, I don't know if uh, you as parents have had kids who have taken out the markers and drawn on, on, the, on the walls or drawn on the dog or whatever else, or they've taken the, the talcum powder and it goes everywhere. Other kids, the uh, bigger sister will decide to cut her younger sister's hair, and so you have, to, you have to put away the scissors and things like that. Well, all these things fail in comparison to little, little Leo Bel- Belknap. Um, Leo's mom and dad, Kevin and Jackie, they had been saving up money. One of their uncles had provided them with season tickets to an American football, uh, football professional team. And they'd been, they'd been putting away money to pay him back. And they had an envelope that had 1060 U.S. dollars, about 8300 Hong Kong dollars. And they'd been squirreling that away and squirreling that away so that they could then pay back this uncle. And, and Kevin came out and he had some money. He said, Jackie, where's that, that envelope that has all the money in it? And she told him, it, it's in the office. It's right over here. And he, he said, I'm, I'm not finding it. And so they began a search of the home. And they began looking around. Where is this, this money? Where could that envelope have gone? Had somebody come in and somebody stolen this from it? And then he heard from the office again. Jackie had gone into the office and looked around. And she said, I found it. And he said, where? And she said, you need to come in here. And so she went in there, he, Kevin went in there, and he lifted the top of the paper shredder, and there was $1,060 worth of American dollars all, all chewed up. And when Kevin saw that, he said, he, re- he went from anger to frustration to looking at his son, and, and then he just began to laugh. He said, you know, what, 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 more, what more can I do? He said, he said, how is it that he ground up this money to know this? And this is where Jackie said, oh, I was, I was um, grinding up junk mail this week, and, and Leo was helping me do this. And he said, he must have gotten bored and wanted to chew up some more paper. And he said, well, I don't know what we're going to do, but it does us no good to get angry, angry at this son. And there is something in the United States where they take in, the, the uh, Treasury Department takes in burned money, um, money that's uh, gotten wet and, and things like that, money that's been destroyed like this, and they, they were able to get all their money back. But I think about little Leo. Mom and Dad gave him a second chance, didn't they? And God is a God of, who gives second chances. And as we come to, to Jonah chapter 3 today, we see God giving Jonah a second chance. Jonah's had a tough week, or t- a tough couple, couple of weeks. Jonah was called by God. We talked about this last week. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh. God said to him, Arise and go, and go to, the, go to Nineveh, and preach against it, for its evil has come up before me. And Jonah arose, and he went in the absolute opposite direction. He was heading 2,800 miles away from Joppa, from where he was, to go to run away from the Lord. And because he ran away, God brought a storm, a storm on the sea. And while he was on the sea, they got so bad that the sailors thought that the, that the ship was going to, was going to uh, go, go down. And so they threw Jonah over. Jonah, they said to Jonah, what should we do in this situation? He said, throw me over. Why does he say throw me over? 
Because Jonah knew the swift justice of the Lord towards the prophets. Oftentimes, the way in which God dealt with the prophets was different than the way in which he dealt with others. It was very swift. But he doesn't do that. Jonah figures, well, if he throws me overboard, if they throw me overboard, I'm going to drown, and then I'm going to be released from what it was that God had called me to do. And God didn't release him. God sent a fish. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of this fish, and he prays and he confesses his sin, and God gives him that second chance. The fish spits him out onto the shore. And he must have been a walking object lesson for God at that point. Because his skin was probably bleached white as a result of being in that, in that fish's stomach. There's a man by the name of James, James Barkney in the United States in the 18, 1890s who was on a whaling ship, fell overboard, and they didn't know where he was. A couple of days later, 36 hours later, excuse me, they, they, uh, the whaling ship caught a whale and they found him in the stomach of this whale. They didn't know where he'd gone. And he was in the stomach of this whale, and they pulled him out of there. He was unconscious, and he was delirious for several weeks, but he, he eventually got out of that, and he lived. But for the, rest of his sti- for the rest of his life, his skin was bleached white, maybe a little bit whiter than mine, but his skin was bleached white. And I, I can't imagine what Jonah must have looked like when he came to Nineveh. He must have been white, but again, he was, an, he was a walking object lesson for the mercy of God at this point. And when he comes, when, he, when, he comes to, when, he, when God's message comes to him, he says there, go to the, verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to you. Why didn't God choose another, another prophet? You know, we, we do that, don't we? Okay, if you don't want to do it, well, then I'll do it. Or I'll find somebody who does want to do it. But God didn't release Jonah from what it was that he would called him to do. Why? There's very important reasons. When God calls us, when God invites us to join him in what it is that he's doing, he is specifically inviting you. There's a specific reason why he wants you to join him in that. God didn't release, didn't release Jonah from what it was that he called him. Because there were several things that God wanted to teach Jonah about, not only about himself, about God, but also about Jonah. One of them was that his mercy was for all. His mercy wasn't just for the nation of Israel. His mercy was for all the people. No matter how bad they are, God's mercy was for them. God, God was a God of love for all nations. He didn't just love the Israelite nation. He loved all nations. And then in addition to that, God is a sovereign God. He, he is sovereign over all. God has said in Romans chapter 9, verse 15, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And in this case, Jonah needed to learn that God's mercy extended to the Ninevites and not just to the Israelites as well. And God's mercy extends to where else? Every single one of us in this room, every single person that walks by this church, over 10,000 people a day walk by this church. Every single one of them is alive in which God, a life in which God is at work, a life in which God is longing to extend his mercy and grace to. This week, as we're uh, kind of we're stuck we're stuck in our home. The Tolo Highway was shut down. I tried on Friday to get out to, to go to work, and that was absolutely fruitless. Just long, long lines of cars. No taxis to be able to get out. So I called back, and I said, I'm just going to have to turn around and go back. And I walked through Science Park and just person after person after person, trying to find their way into Taipo and trying to find their way into there. You know, as I passed them, I'm thinking, what's going on in their life? These are lives. Every single person I'm passing is somebody in whose life God is at work and somebody in whose life God dearly loves, in somebody whose life that God is longing to extend his mercy and grace. 
God had something in mind for Jonah. And when God calls you, it's because he has something in mind for you specifically. He wants you to teach, he wants to teach you about himself, and he wants you to learn things about yourself that you would not learn had you not walked with God in the midst of this time. Well, finally we hear in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Jonah got up literally. The same thing, Jonah, it's arise and go. Jonah arose and he obeyed. And Jonah's obedience, hear this, Jonah's obedience brought glory to God. Now, what brings glory to God? Sometimes we think, well, why is my life not being blessed by God? God blesses. I love uh, Tony, Tony Evans. He made this comment years ago. God blesses that which brings him glory. If in our lives what we're doing doesn't bring glory to God, God's blessing is not going to be there. So how is it that God has given glory in our lives? And I think about those things that God calls us to. When God calls us to do something, or when God calls us not to do something, when we choose to follow and to walk in God's ways, that brings him glory because we are saying to God, God, you are number one in my life, and I'm not. God, what it is that you desire in my life, God, that's what I want to do. That brings glory to God. I had my old district superintendent. He's now with the Lord. His name was Tim Owen. And he used to always make this comment. He was big into the peacemaker ministry. And he used to always make this comment. Conflict is always an opportunity to bring glory to God. I'll say that again. Conflict is always an opportunity to bring glory to God. When two sides are in conflict with one another. When they heed the word of God. And heed the word of God that they should be unified and they do what it is that God calls them to do, that brings glory to God. As well, I think about what brings glory to God in the day-to-day things, the day-to-day times in which God calls us, and God asks for us to walk in the direction that he calls us to. That brings glory to God. And the question that I want to ask of you, I don't want show of hands, I want you to respond, but just in your heart, is what you're involved with right now, is that bringing glory to God? In where you are right now, would God be saying, that is exactly the place that I want you to be? Or is there something else that God has been calling you to? We need to hear what it is, and we need to respond to what it is that God is calling us to. Because we were created to bring God glory. We're told in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and whom I made, you were created for God's glory. Is God's glory being seen in you? Is God be even given glory in and through your life? Well, Moses, Moses Jonah brought the message. He brought the message to, uh, to Nineveh. But look at the message. The message is, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Wow, that's a harsh message. I mean, what is this message missing? It's like, come on, Jonah. You know, why, why, does he, why does he bring that message? And I, th- I wonder if it isn't, there's two reasons. Because in Jonah's mind, God's judgment was inevitable. It, it was going to happen. And that wouldn't have come from God, would it? Because whenever God gives the warning, I'm not going to be able to get to this part in the message, but go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter, um, excuse me. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 6 to 10. Whenever God gives the opportunity, whenever God brings and says to us that there's something that we should do, and we respond, God moves to, towards that. Oh, I see it's already up here. He said, Can I not do with, with you, Israel, as, I've, as the potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of a potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. And if it, 
If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent, not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce to that nation or kingdom to be built up or planted, and if, that, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for, to do for it. What Jonah needed to learn was that God was giving Nineveh a chance. And when it says that God relented, God relented of what it was that he was going to do. God's mind doesn't change. Go back to Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God says, I'm not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man that I should change my mind. God doesn't change his mind. So when he doesn't relent, when he doesn't relent, when he sends Jonah out there, it is with the intent that if they choose to follow me, that I will relent. Did he already know that they were going to relent? Did they, or did, they already, did God already know that the Ninevites were going to repent of their sin? He did. And you know who else knew that? Jonah. And that's why next week we're going to see with Jonah why he was so steamed about what it was that God was going to do. And Jonah needed to learn. Jonah needed to learn that when God sent his messenger there, albeit while he sent him with a message, there were several things that were missing from this message. First of all, what was missing from this message is, who's it from? Forty days, and then Nineveh will be overturned. There's no, thus saith the Lord. There's no, this is what God says. There's no part of that. As well, they're not told why. I have a hunch they understood why. I mean, the Assyrian people were incredibly brutal people. You did not want to be taken captive by the Assyrians. They were legendary for their, for their brutality towards people. Over-the-top brutal towards people. And I think they had an had a inkling of what it was or why it was that God was bringing this. But also, what's missing is how. It's not only the why, but it's also how. How do we escape such great, such great judgment? What is it that we have to do? Jonah doesn't tell him any of that. But there are three big ones that are also missing. Love. The love of God. The, the message didn't carry the love of God. When we share the truth... Share the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, says um, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, I, again, I go back to my old district superintendent. He said, speak the truth in love and speak it lovingly. In many years of being a pastor, there have been times that somebody's come along and parted my hair for half an hour, and while what they would have said was true, the way in which they brought the truth was not very kind and not very loving. And while Jonah brings a message that while it may be true, it's, a, it's devoid of God's love. So what was missing was not only missing love, but it was also missing compassion. Share the truth in love and leave the results to God. Share the truth of God in love and leave the results unto God. As well, the last thing that was missing was hope. That one's not on there. It's hope. It's love. It's compassion. It's hope. We read in... in um, we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But notice this, but do this with gentleness and respect. When Jonah brings the message, he has, he's thinking, oh, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this task and I'm going to tell these people that, that, that um, destruction is coming their way. But he doesn't tell them anything else. He doesn't tell them how it is that they can be released from this. And as we share with people, as we talk to people, share the truth in love and leave the results to God. Leave those results into God's hands. And this, this is crazy. The people respond. 
why on earth did they respond to Jonah's message? I think there's two major reasons why they responded. The first one was, on a physical level, there were some things going on in Nineveh at that time. As we look back into history, there were several things. There had gone through a period of famines, several famines that, that, that were going on. There were several epidemics that had gone through that area. There were revolts as well as there were... Um, well, that, that's good enough. There were revolts, and there were epidemics, and there was one... Oh, there was a solar eclipse. And so in, there are some historians that believe that God was already preparing the ground. But it, in spite of that, we know that God is at work in our lives. And we know that God was at work there in the life of these Ninevites, so that when the word was brought, the word came on fertile soil. Whenever God comes to you with an invitation... It's an invitation for you to join him in what it is that he's already doing. Remember, he doesn't come to you and say, you know, Brian, hey, we got this situation over here. What do you think we should do? He never does that. God always initiates, and God also always initiates because he has something in mind that he's going to do in that area. He's already there. He's already at work in that place. And the people of Nineveh respond. I'll give you a little illustration of that. This week, Tuesday, I came into the office and things began to, to go apart rapidly, and I thought, well, I probably need to get home. I mean, they were just shutting down one MTR or another on the East Rail Line. And so I left here and got on the train and got as far as uh, Fotan. And I walked out, and the day before, we'd done the very same thing. We got stuck at Fotan, and so we took a taxi. And I'm I, uh, looking around for a taxi, and it's just a sea of people, just lying as long as you can see of people waiting to get on the shuttle buses to take them to the next place. And a guy comes walking up to me, and he says, where are you going to? Well, I have in my wallet this piece of paper that I pull out, and it has written in Cantonese where it is that I want to go. And so I show this guy, and he goes, oh, I can take you there. He says, no taxis running day, $300. I'm like, I'm not giving you $300. And he goes, no taxis today. You won't find a taxi. And I thought, I, I am not paying you $300. I'll find a taxi. And so I'm looking around, and I'm waiting, and one taxi after another is passing. I thought, I must be standing in the wrong place. So I looked around. I saw, oh, on the other side, there was a taxi stand, and people were getting a taxi. I thought, so how do I get over to the other side? And as I was looking for that, I realized on my side, there was, there was a taxi stand. So I walked over there, and I began to stand in line. And one taxi after another would come up there, and they'd drive through, and boom, they'd drive right around. I'm thinking, what on earth? Why, where are you going here? You know, we're, you know, we're waiting here for a taxi. And the one taxi came up, he flipped the back door open, and he said something in Cantonese, and then took off to the, the other people were all angry about it. Why, why did he take off? So I, I'm looking around, I don't understand Cantonese. And so I, I look at the girl behind me, I said, did you understand what it was that, that he said? And she said, oh no, she said, I wasn't paying attention, I was trying to do something else. And then she listened, because another one came and did it, and she said, oh, they're looking to go to this place, and if nobody wants to go there, she said, then they, then they just move on. Well, that proceeded to go into a conversation. I asked her, I said, uh, so, you know, what, where, why are you here? And she said, well, I'm a, I'm a mainland student, uh, but I'm studying at the Chinese university. She said, I'm a, in my PhD studies. And so we began talking about that. She said, I'm trying to make my way back to, back to uh, Chinese university. And I said, well, I have to go over to, uh, over to Science Park area. I said, that's just past Chinese university. I said, we can share a cab. And so we began talking. She said, so what do you do? And normally in the United States, when you tell somebody that you're a pastor, they immediately try to clean up their life and tell you that their third cousin was an altar boy, I think. You know, just try to really make, make it out that they're a very religious person. And so I told her, and she said, oh. And that's, that's where I left it. 
And so we're talking about other things, and, and I'm thinking, okay, God, you know, you put, put this gal here. And, and we got into the cab, and the first thing she says when she gets in the cab is she said, there are, there are Bible studies on, on the uh, Chinese university campus. She says, I've been going to some, of these, to some of these Bible studies. And I said, are you a Christian? And she said, not yet. But she said, I'm studying. I'm studying. She said, I really want to know. And then she said, and not only that, she said, there's a group of us that have been reading the Bible together. And she said, I've been to a, it was a, um, a Mandarin-speaking church in Shengshui. She said, I've been to that church before. And she said, how about your church? She said, do, do you have people who speak Mandarin at the church? I said, yes, we have several of them here that, that speak Mandarin. But I said, the service is all in English. Oh, she said, I can understand English. Enough. She said, maybe I will come to your church sometime. And I thought, God, only you could have done this because I'm sitting in the line. I was two hours in that line waiting for the cab, and I'm thinking, ah, I, I need to get home, Lord. But yet God was teaching me something. I needed to realize who was standing right next to me. And I told her, I said, Julie, I said, this isn't a coincidence that you're here, and it isn't a coincidence that I'm here. God is working in your life. And then she was often trying to make her way to uh, Chinese University. But I think about that. God was at work in her life. And the people that you come in contact with, the people that are all around you are people who, in whose lives God is at work. And the question is, when we feel that little tap, when we hear that voice saying, talk to them, will we do that? Jonah's obedience brought glory to God. And when the people respond, they respond in an incredible way. I mean, look at look what happens when they respond. They proclaim a fast. And after the fast, I mean, not only a fast, but sackcloth and ashes, it says they believed God. They believed God. And they, and they ordered a fast. And the fast, now watch this. The fast was not just the king saying, hey, everybody's got a fast. That comes later. Jonah starts sharing the word, and it's almost like a ripple in, in, in a pond. That ripple began, and it went out, and it reaches, the news finally reaches the king. And then the king says, this is what we need to do. But it began with the people there. It began with the people talking about this. And they began to, re- they began to put on, uh, fast and put on sackcloth. That's, a, that's uh, mourning attire. They also repented. The king calls for them from the least to the greatest to, to, uh, to turn away from their sinful ways. There's humility. From the least to the greatest, they put on sackcloth. And as well, there's sorrow. You know, this is a... When we come to God... When we come to God and we repent, repentance means a 180-degree turn. This is the direction that you're going in, but now I'm choosing to go in the other direction. I have decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. They repented, but not only that, when we come to God, humility. Humility. God, forgive me. You know, we, we fall on our face before God, and we ask God, God, forgive me, but also sorrow. Because sometimes we, cheat, we treat grace as though it's something cheap. The grace of God, the mercy of God, is not something that's cheap. It costs the very life of God's Son, Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross. And we have forgiveness of sin because of what it is that Christ did on the cross. Not only do we have forgiveness of sin, we have hope. You know, think about where would our lives be, especially in times like this, if we had no hope? What about those verses like what I, what I talked about when we were in prayer? He will keep in perfect peace. His mind is stayed because he trusts in, in God. What if we had no hope? Where would we have any peace? But because we have hope in Christ, we can have peace in our, in our hearts as well. 
And the king makes this statement, and with this I'm done. The king made this statement. God may, God may relent. Who knows? God may yet re- relent and withdraw his burning anger. God did relent. God did relent, but God never changed his mind. God went in there fully knowing that if the message was proclaimed, that the Ninevites would turn to him. And not only did he know that, but Jonah knew it as well, too. He says, that's why I didn't want to go, because I knew this is what you would do. So how do we wrap all this up? Well, there's, there's a couple things here. As you share the message, how are you sharing the you know, Jonah showed up. Basically, that's what you... Okay, you want me to do this? I'll show up and I'll do it. I'll, I'll say what it is that you want me to say. But there's no compassion. There's no love. There's no hope behind it. And in what it is that God is calling you to do, wherever it is that you are, you are a testimony. You are a walking testimony of the love and the grace and the mercy of God in your life. And how is God being seen in, in your life? Because the one thing we need to be careful of is not just showing up. Just showing up. Showing up for Sunday school. If you're teaching Sunday school, if you're teaching um, children's church, if you're preaching on Sunday morning, whatever it might be, that you're not just showing up, but that when you come, you come bearing the truth of God and you share the truth of God in love and lovingly and leave the results in God's hand. And realizing, too, that the city of Nineveh, I think in Jonah's mind, there's no way these people are ever going to turn from what it is to doing. These people are just too bad. I think the second thing that we need to apply here is this, is that there is no heart that is so far away, there is no life that is so bad that God cannot and that God is not longing to work in to bring back to himself. And for some of us, we can name two or three people. Two or three people in your life that you say, wow, there is no way that that person will ever, ever change their ways. And then God steps in and does what it is that he wants to do. I remember, I maybe shared this story with you. I remember uh, it was Thanksgiving time. I was back in the States. I was in my first church. And we, were in, uh, we lived in California. And where our church was was a really bad neighborhood. And it was on the backside of a, of, of a uh, bunch of buildings. And behind there were all kinds of tenement buildings. And it was a really high crime rate area. Uh, pizza wouldn't deliver there. The mail wouldn't deliver to certain portions of it. It was just a, a rough neighborhood. And so we, we continued to minister in there, and, and we had people uh, coming off the street, and people were coming to Christ. And this one day, this guy comes in, and he's sitting like right here. And the whole time I'm preaching, he's staring at me. He's a Puerto Rican guy, just staring at me the whole time. And afterward, he comes up to me, and this is what he says, I want to see you tomorrow. And I think, what? What? And, well, uh, I need to back the story up. So this guy came, and came to church but that wasn't the first time that I met him. Like I said, it was close to Thanksgiving, which is the fourth Thursday in the United States, fourth Thursday of November in the United States. And I was coming out, it was the end of the day, and I had just gone into the restroom and shut the lights off, and I opened the door of the restroom, and here's this guy standing right there in front of me, like, oh, you know, because the hallway is dark, and normally people didn't come walking in. And, and I said, uh, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I'm here for the chairs. And I said, okay. I said, what do you mean you're here for the chairs? He said, we come to this church every year around Thanksgiving, and he said, and we get the chairs. And I said, oh, I said, I think I can help you out with that. I said, where we were meeting, we had changed churches. Another church had bought our church, and we moved in and took over their lease. And I said, it's probably this other church that you did that with. And he said, okay. He said, whatever. He said, where do I need to go to find that church? And I said, you can use ours. 
I said, you could use ours. And so we went out into the, out into the uh, sanctuary area, and we had the Awana circle on the floor. You know, and he came out, he looks, he says, what's that? And I said, that's for Awana. He said, Awana. He said, is that a kid's ministry? And I said, yeah. I said, it's a kid's ministry. And he said, where was your church? And I said, oh, over in Sassoon. He said, I've been looking for this church for over a year, he said, because he said they had Awana there. And he said, my daughter was going to Awana there. And then he said, the church moved, and we didn't know where the church went. And he said, so this is the church that has Awana that my daughter went to? And I said, yeah, probably. And he said, okay. And so that conversation ended, and we, I helped him put all the chairs into the back of his truck, and away he went. Not thinking that he'd show up on Sunday morning, he'd stare right there staring at me the whole time. And it wasn't a kind stare, he was just looking at me like, and so then he came up after service and said, I want to talk to you tomorrow. Normally Mondays was my day off, but I thought, well, I better see this guy. I come in, in into the office and he comes and sits down and he says, I want what it was that you were talking about yesterday. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, you were talking about receiving Jesus Christ. He said, I want that. I said, Really? And he said, yeah, he said, I need that in my life. He said, I've been in Narcotics Anonymous for six years. But he said, he talks about a higher power, but I realize the higher power has got to be Jesus Christ. He said, I want that. And so I prayed in my office, and you should have seen the difference. That scowly look that he had on his face, it was gone. And from that time, Louis Roman, whenever I saw him, he had this big smile on his face. And one day, he's, now he's bringing people into church that he knows from the streets and everything else. He's bringing them into the, into the church. He says, Pastor, don't worry about this. I know all these guys. I know the ones who are strung out right now. He says, I'll take care of it. You just preach. And he said, I'll worry about these guys. And one guy came up to me one Sunday. He said, what happened to him? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the Louis that we used to know is not the Louis that we see now. He said, Louis that we know, he said, whenever we'd go up to, when we'd, he would come to our house, he said, we'd make sure that the door was closed behind us so that he couldn't see what was in our house because he'd come and rob us. He said, he was not a nice guy at all. And now all of a sudden, he's this really nice guy who's really caring. He said, Louis Roman only cared about one person, and that was Louis. He said, what happened to him? I said, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And from that time until the time when I eventually left that church, Louis was, was a different man. He was a different man because God was the one who changed his heart. And there's nobody in our lives that is so far away from God, nobody that is so bad, there's no situation that is so bad that God in his mercy cannot change. And the question is, will we invite God into those situations? Will we invite God to be the one that works in those hearts? Because God is already there at work. And if he's right now at this moment laying somebody on your heart, that's an invitation to begin praying for that person. And maybe you've already been praying. Don't stop praying. And continue to ask God to extend his mercy and his grace toward that person. Continue to ask God for that situation that God's mercy and grace would be extended there. Well, I'm over time, but thank you guys for sitting with me through this time. God has spoken to our hearts this morning. And God is a merciful God. God is a sovereign God. And God is a God who extends his love to all nations and to all people. And I'm glad he is because we see that in this room here today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you again. As we look at the life of Jonah, I think Jonah is in every single one of us. And God, help us to see people as you see them. And and God, that's a tall order. Help us to see people 
in the way that you see them. Because if they don't know Christ, they're walking into a Christless eternity. And God, I know that even here, there are people who have not chosen to walk with you. People who you have extended your mercy and your grace towards. And you will continue to do that. But if they reject that mercy and grace, if they reject what it is you did on the cross for them, they will one day stand before you and you will say, depart from me, I never knew you. God, that's the last thing you want. That's the last thing you want. If you came here this morning and you have never made that choice to follow Christ, I want to ask you to do a simple thing. I would ask if you want to pray to receive Christ. This is God offering an opportunity of his mercy and grace. Would you just raise your hand? I want to have a word of prayer with you to pray to receive Christ. Okay. Okay. Would you just simply pray in your heart along with me? Precious Heavenly Father, I confess to you today that I'm a sinner. And I confess as well, God, that I need you as Savior. I can't, I can't get to heaven on my own. And God, I need you. And today I receive you as my personal Savior. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your joy and with your peace and your love for people. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, your word says that all heaven rejoices when one person comes home. And God, you see the heart of this one who prayed to receive you. And Lord, it says there is a party going on in heaven because of this. And that person's obedience brought glory to you. And God, I pray for your hand to be with that person. This person as they grow as well. I pray for the hearts of all of us here this morning. Lord, as we look around, we see a lot of stuff going on. And we think, what is my one prayer going to do in the midst of all this that's going on? And for some of us, we're saying, we have been praying. We've been seeing nothing happening. Lord, your word says that Elijah was a man just like us. But when he prayed, things happened. And God, I pray that you would encourage us as your people, that we not stop praying, that we not stop beseeching you for our city. And God, there are people in our lives that we would say there is nothing that will ever change their hearts. There is nothing that will ever change them. They're just too hard. They're just too evil. They're just too far away from you. And yet, God, those are people in whose lives you are at work right now. And I pray that, God, you would give us the hope again to come to your throne and to ask on their behalf for you to work in their lives. Because, God, you are a God who longs to extend your love and your mercy and your grace into those lives. And you will forgive if we will turn to you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this precious congregation that, Lord, your hand will be with them. I pray for Pastor Ed and Sharon as they travel back to the States that, God, your hand will be upon them your hand of blessing will be upon them and that, God, you'll watch over and protect them. Thank you for the time they've been here with us. We really appreciate that, Lord, and thank you for bringing them here, for allowing them to be pastor here for so many years.
And God, I pray for the rest of the congregation as we go into our workplaces, that your glory would be seen in us. That we wouldn't just show up, but that we would allow you to be seen in and through our lives. To you belongs all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May the grace and the mercy and the protection and the precious love of Christ be seen in and through your lives this week. God's hand is on you. Go in that precious knowledge in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.